Hello and welcome to the 20th episode of Unchurchable. I cannot tell you how chuffed I am that people are actually listening to this little project of mine and I have to admit to getting a bit of a kick out of it when people say things to me like I first became unchurchable when... Now, we don't tend to say it because we're against church. We usually say it because there comes a moment in time when we realize that church shouldn't own us, repress us, talk down to us or otherwise be this bigger thing that we aspire to be accepted by. Instead, to be unchurchable means that your faith is yours. It's between you and God, whoever and however you envision God to be. Typically, we unchurchables are deconstructing. We're thinking about faith and spirituality and how to make this world a better place. We're examining the Bible to learn with open minds instead of examining it to defend an old viewpoint. Some of us are atheists. Some of us are agnostic. Some are Christian, post-Christian, unchristian, spiritual, experimental, or different things on different days. But I think all of us look at the institution that claims to represent God and are all too often compelled to call upon it to do better. That's where Britt Herbert comes in. She's part of a group of inspiring people, inspiring women, who are calling on church to do better. They're giving voice to people who need to get their stories out without the risk of blowback or victim blaming. The Do Better Church project is an important one as it calls out the abuse that is so often swept under the carpet. I read the least funny meme in the world a few weeks ago. It said, and I quote, it's always the church isn't a building, it's people, until you call out abuse. And then it's the church didn't hurt you, people did. But you can't have it both ways. Brit's passion speaks right to the heart of this complexity, and so does mine. So in light of this, we caught up, we laughed a lot, we shared stories and a lot of similarities. We realised that good things happened in our church-rich past, and also bad things happened. And herein lies the nuance that can sometimes be so hard to sort through. But hearing stories sure makes it easier to normalise ourselves and realise sometimes we aren't the ones at fault. As you listen today, bear in mind that if anything comes up for you, there is plenty of help available. And if there's any year to call on it, it's 2020. I strongly recommend in Australia, Beyond Blue, Lifeline and QLife for Australians who need to call a helpline. For all others, and indeed for Australians, your doctor is a great person to contact if you realise that you need help working through complex issues. I hope you'll enjoy today's surprisingly light-hearted session given its content. Um, Yeah, it goes through a little bit longer because I've decided why limit a podcast to 40 or 50 minutes when there is a lot of rabbit holes to dive down when you're talking about deconstruction, faith, spirituality and finding new ways to reinvent yourself and find your voice, find your sense of safety and find your sense of... Uh, connection with the divine outside the institution that you used to glean it from Um, anyway so yes this episode I hope you'll enjoy it I certainly enjoyed interviewing Brit I'm Kit Kennedy and this is episode 20 of Unchurchable Hello and welcome to another episode of Unchurchable. I'm here with Britt Herbert. Um, I found Britt on the Instagrams again because yeah. that's where all the cool kids hang out. Um, and I just, I was wondering what I should call today's episode and I think maybe I'll just call it The Adventures of Britt and Kit because I've got no oh. idea where our conversation is going to take us. How yeah. are you today? I'm <laughs> good. I feel like The Adventures of Britt and Kit could be a successful like chi- <laughs> like children's book series. Um, I think you're right. Yeah. <laughs> this could be, uh, yeah, 
yeah, this could be really something. Uh, <laughs> just before we hit record, we were talking about kind of uh, coronavirus and, and you know, the hotel quarantine system in Australia and all, all sorts of things. But it um, seems like 2020 is a year where all sorts of topics come up for conversation that you wouldn't have thought would be, um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> a thing in previous years. Um, so... Tell me a little bit about yourself and, you know, um, and the Do Better Church program. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I never know what to say in talking about myself. I, I feel like uh, I have a, a life as complex as my trauma. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, <very> cool. <laughs> complex PTSD, complex life story anyway yeah uh you know uh born in the southern part of the united states uh in louisiana we are known for uh great spicy food and um you know our the swamp essentially uh okay and of course you're referring to donald trump's drain yes draining the swamp yeah Yeah. Uh uh-huh Uh, but yeah, uh, I, you know, I, the first four years of my life, my parents were not, uh, believers. We didn't go to church mm-hmm. or anything. In fact, they were very anti and I ended up at four years old getting them to go to church. Oh, wow. um, okay. Yeah. I was an only child at the time. Um, I do have a younger brother, but he's six years younger than me. Mm-hmm. And we, every month we had a Britney day on a Sunday and I got to pick where I wanted to go. Yeah, and uh, usually, you know, like the zoo or something like that. Yeah. And then this particular day, I wanted to go to church. I had been with yeah. uh, my dad's mom a couple of times, and mm-hmm. I wanted to go. And my parents were like, "No, you don't want to go to church. Like, <laughs> don't you want to go to the park?" Or yeah. and I was like, "No, I want to go to church." And um, yeah. anyway, that day it was like too late to go. And, but they were like, you know, next month, if you still want to go, then, then, then we'll go. And I think they were hoping that I'd forget about it, but of course I did not. So, uh, one month later we get up early, we get ready for church. My mom made blueberry muffins, which kind of became a family staple after that for many years. And, uh, and you know, we got all dressed up and then my dad got called into work. And uh, this was in the era of the beeper, you know, no, oh, no cell oh. phones. Yeah. <laughs> uh, We're showing our age here. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The beeper era, yeah. I mean, I think we called it getting beeped out even, so. Uh, oh, that's cute. Oh, that's <laughs> Anyway, cute. I was devastated, and my mom was like, what's wrong with you? And I was like, no, we're not going to go to church. And she was like, you know what? I got dressed up. We're going to go. So she and I went, and of course, you know, I was in children's church or whatever, so we didn't have the same. Yeah experience but my dad met us for lunch at mcdonald's afterwards and asked how it was and that's an institution everywhere apparently yeah, yeah. um and he asked how it was and my mom was like oh you know what it wasn't so bad mm-hmm. and he was like well next week we'll all go so yeah. we went the next week and then the next week and yeah. then the following week my mom uh you know quote unquote got saved and my dad saw such a drastic change in her um in the week following that he then did the same and so then here we were uh churchgoers and and believers and uh, a few years after that we became missionaries 
Oh, goodness. We went to, we moved to Russia when I was seven. Um, oh, that's fun. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so two years we were in Russia. We went over, it was like, a, um, they were, they sent like 80 missionaries to 40 cities or something like that. I may have those numbers a little bit wrong, but so we all go over at one time and there was a lot mm. of us from Louisiana, but some other uh, U.S. states as well. Mm. And we all went to Moscow first and then we went to this other city for orientation and then we, <laughs> and then we all piled on this bus and we drove and dropped missionaries off at the cities that they would be living in. And oh my gosh, just like that. Just, <laughs> just, here yeah, you go. Here you go. Here's your stop. And this is, you yeah, and See this you is, later. <laughs> and this is not like you know, like a a nice transportation. But you know, there's no bathroom <laughs> on the bus. You, you know, there's there, uh, there's no climate control. It's just uh, <laughs> so we were the last city, of course, and uh, so seven days uh, on the bus. <laughs> oh gosh! And wow. uh, and we end up in our city. Of course, uh, none of us speak Russian. Um, oh we, my had, gosh. we had uh, translators, and this is interesting. This is just a couple. This is like what ninety two, ninety three, yeah. I guess ninety three. We moved there, and mm. uh, so a few years after uh, the fall of USSR, but not terribly long after that. So, yeah. um, anyone who spoke English for the most part was you know some sort of tra- it was you know kgb or something yeah, and uh, kind of a leftover from the cold war yeah. that hadn't really ceased yet fabulous yeah. so. oh, gosh i was sitting here thinking oh maybe this could be the first adventures of britain kit book right. but then i'm thinking no this is terrifying don't make kids right yeah. right <laughs> um and so and that was an interesting part of living there too because it's not uh you know there was it was it was russian mafia rule at the time so Um, I wasn't really allowed to just go play outside by myself or anything because there was fear of me getting kidnapped and, uh, and, you know, it didn't, I did go to language school and by the time we left, I did speak fluent Russian. I don't anymore. I'm like intermediate, Mm -hmm. but, uh, but we, (laughs) you know, there, there just, there was, and it was cold most of the, most of the year and snowy and my brother was an infant and so it was just a lot. That whole experience was a lot of like my dad going and doing, you know, pastoral things and my mom being at home with us kids. And, uh, you know, she had her own uh, mental health issues and just life things that she had never processed before. And she became extremely depressed and. Um, so a lot of my experience there was seven to nine years old that we were in Russia. And a lot of my experience was taking care of my brother and making sure that my mom didn't kill herself or leave us. Oh my gosh. Wow. That's a lot. That's a lot. (laughs) Yeah. And do you know, it, it kind of echoes the experience of a lot of people to a less extreme degree because you're, they're not exactly on the Russian tundra in the middle of winter with an Mm. infant and a seven year old and and no language skills, but um, it's not an uncommon story for, for the pastor to be off doing pastoral things and Mm. for the pastor's wife to be playing this good complementarian role in and being the homemaker and the caregiver and and facing off against her her ghosts as they as they are so yeah so okay so three years in russia and you're this tiny little caregiver (laughs) 
Um, yeah, t- yeah, tiny little caregiver, and yeah, it, you know, and again with the with the added. Language, you know, I, like I said, I did go to language school with my dad. That was one reprieve I had getting out, mm-hmm. getting out of the house. But other than that, like, you know, mostly, especially during the winter, winter, we're stuck inside. We're not really going anywhere. Um, and I don't know. Do you know Science Jesus memes on Instagram? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. So yeah, she's 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 Slavic. She's from she's from the Ukraine. But uh, she posted this meme recently. Um, everyone, go follow her if you don't. Uh, yeah. But it was talking about uh, Russian women in the winter, and it, it showed like uh, they were wearing like short skirts and and like in <laughs> in like uh, stilettos, and and that was like very much what I remember too. And my mom. Was was wearing you know like jumper dresses and things like that and and my dad of course being an American and and people you know there were there was just a lot of fascination and he's not a bad looking mm. guy either and so my mom stuck at home and she sees these ladies like fawning over my dad whenever we're and out and so she's just at home. yeah there are mini skirts and stilettos and uh and she's just at home you know imagining all of the worst case scenarios yeah. and, um Anyway, it was it was an experience, but you know, as far as you know, we planted two churches while we were there. Um, I was homeschooled, but essentially, is basically self-taught at that point. Yeah. And then, yeah. Um, after that, we came back. We were living in Louisiana for a couple of years, um, and then we moved to Brazil. Oh wow! Yeah, so from Gosh, what a childhood you had <laughs> from eleven to almost eighteen years old. I was in Brazil. Yeah, um, much much different, uh, mm-hmm. you know, everything. Yeah. Uh, from uh, the climate, to yeah, the language, climate, to language, the culture, yeah, absolutely. Everything. The way, yeah, um, people, everything, and then um we and this was also a different experience in that we were going to work with a mission that was already established Uh there were a lot of american missionaries there um already so so there was like that kind of that community set up it was a you know a lot less lonely i would Mm -hmm. say as far you know especially i would say for someone like my mom and there were other missionary kids that we had to play with everyone lived on the same street which i talked about this on full Drysdale's podcast of how yeah, uh, like yeah. elitist that is, but uh, yeah, 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 God. Uh, <laughs> uh, realizing hindsight, oof, yeah, but uh, you know, m- much different experience. However, I was there the the preteen stage, and I had well, and you know, if you can tell, even from that little clip of my story, but uh, of Russia, but just a lot of it, there was just. A, a, a lot of things to deal with a lot of roles that I played at a young age and um uh, and then there's the normal you know puberty angst or, or whatever pulled in there so I got I I fell into a severe depression um I did not want to go to Brazil I was really upset and um but I took out my coping my coping was basically schoolwork so yeah I just again you know self-taught basically so I would just do like a bunch of days of schoolwork all Mm -hmm. you know in one day and ended up graduating at 15 and then I also started a a language school well not school but like I went and taught Brazilians to speak English which was highly sought after 
because yeah. they have to learn a foreign language as we do. I met. Do you guys have to learn a foreign language in high no, school? No, we don't because we're arrogant. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um. <laughs> but I can relate so hard to everything you're saying because I was homeschooled and, and when, when the crunch time really came in terms of, um, you know, depression or, or trauma or whatever, it was being a workaholic that I really turned to and it's a pattern that I still have to watch for, you know, at this point in mm-hmm. my life. So, yeah, it's, I mean, it can relate, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, go on. No, yeah. it was good, absolutely. Uh, definitely all of this translated into workaholism as I, uh, you know, went into further, you know, into the actual workforce as an adult and, yeah. uh, you know, <laughs> led to a breakdown there. But, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, anyway, so it was, it was highly sought after because everyone needed a foreign language. It was usually English or Spanish and yeah. the teachers in school were usually Brazilian. And mm-hmm. so, you know, they, they were looking for people who could speak English perfectly so that they could learn, you know, uh, English yeah. and hopefully not have a, a, an accent or as heavy as, as an accent so at 11 years old I started teaching English to Brazilians and uh I w- it would like because p- people would pay like it was like 36 reais an hour which you know uh real is their currency yeah. and so and I ended up at one point with like tons of students and so I was raking in the cash while my parents are, you know, like living month yeah. to month, hoping that, you know, support from churches and individuals come through or whatever. So they end up borrowing money from me uh, all through my routine. Oh my gosh. Years. Uh, some of it I got back, some of it I didn't. But, uh, you know, and, and that just adds to, you know, kind of the caregiver role that I yeah. took uh, for my parents. and um, But six of the years we were in Brazil was in a, a city in northern Brazil called Santarém, and it was right mm-hmm. on the Amazon River. And it was really cool experience. The mission we worked with, there there were a lot of initiatives. So we had we had our, a boat shop. The mission owned a boat shop, so um, yeah. we built boats, and boats had their different purposes. We'd go out to the river villages. We had a medical boat, and uh, doctors would come from southern brazil or the u.s or canada and we'd go out and translate for the english-speaking doctors and um and then we had boats that would go you know they were specific to building churches and or schools and we would do that and we had boats for water filtration like we would um (laughs) we actually worked with samaritan's purse and and built water filters and dug wells yes Mm. um so all this is a very cool uh, things to to experience uh, in yeah. childhood, which um, and again, I, and I am very vocal about this. I, um, you know, colonialism and missionary uh-huh. work. Like I, I'm not, I'm not a fan. I have a very complicated view of missions these days, and I do not take lightly the fact that I am saying like, oh, this was a really cool experience for me, yeah. and that it, it cost. Uh, you know the co- the cost is great to other people um, to and that's that's the complexity I think of deconstruction um, for a lot of people is that the, the there's good intermingled with this really dark side of um, of church whether it's you know these fantastic memories of you know church camps or you know um, friendships and and music and you know dance and all this kind of stuff also mingled in against kind of trauma and 
abuse that's hidden or covered up or whether it's kind of these amazing adventures abroad that you also have to grapple with the the spiritual colonialism aspect of it um this is a difficult thing about deconstruction isn't it because you have to kind of balance the bad that was in the good and the good that was in the bad and Mm -hmm. kind of find your way to reconcile all of them together hey yeah yeah absolutely mm. so um you know and usually I, I don't know I feel like usually when I talk about it I kind of lead with the whole like uh you know missions bad col- colonialism bad thing but here yeah. today I am talking very fondly about it so I just want to throw out there like I'm not um I'm not blind uh, that's yeah. and that's yeah. ableism but you know I I, I, <laughs> I am not unaware of of the harm uh yes. you know that missions did and while I would much rather have had my childhood in that aspect of not living in the same small town USA mm. for my entire life and being yeah. with the same people my entire life, you know, and yeah, everyone yeah, having yeah. the same views and values for the most part of all of my life, um, I do I do recognize the harm that yeah that was done, and I don't take mm. that lightly at all. So. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's that's a big, you know, um, it's a big burden, that one, because I think <clears throat> when people kind of wake up to this um, or become woke, as the, the meme um, may be, um, it, it sometimes can be quite overwhelming to look back over this and, and focus on the harm. Um, and and yes, I think I think some degree of repentance um, is, is, is good and right. And, um, you know, for some people, but others, children, for example, who are kind of, um, packed up along with their parents, um, we can't really beat ourselves up for the things we didn't know or didn't have control over, but still can be, can sit in this kind of place of vicarious guilt or, you know, stuff like that. That's been a grapple for me. Um, the, the, standing in a place of vicarious guilt and also vicarious trauma sometimes mm-hmm. um, is an interesting kind of, yeah, kind of grapple. So, yeah, so you're 18, you've come back from Brazil, you know, life goes on. Um, yeah, I mean, you also mentioned CPTSD at the beginning of this and I don't mm-hmm. expect you to, to, um, to tell your story at all because, you know, that can be incredibly um triggering um and i say this is one who's who has cptsd and who shares a house with another adult who has cptsd mm-hmm. um, so um yeah this is this is another really complex thing that's perhaps poorly understood as well so yeah yeah so kind of where to from that brazil kind of experience yeah, so the the last year we were in Brazil, we ended up in Rio de Janeiro, which was, of course, a whole different experience, you know, huge city, right? Um, and I fell in love with it. I decided that's where I wanted to go to university. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I did this whole thing because they wouldn't accept a home, my homeschool diploma. So oh, I yes. did a uh, an accelerated kindergarten through high school in Portuguese in nine months. And oh my gosh. I finished, <laughs> really? yeah, yeah, I finished it. And then I was starting, um, the college entrance examinations are very, very difficult in Brazil. And so I was, yeah. I was started studying for those. And then, um, my mom ended up having 
uh, a bit of a nervous breakdown. It was just mm-hmm. a lot of stuff culminated into finally, and yeah. she was going to move back to the U.S. with or without us. And so my mm-hmm. family packed up and moved back. I was very, very bitter for a while, um, but I wasn't yeah. quite 18 yet, and so I, you know, they made me, <laughs> they made me come back, and, yeah. uh, and and I was really devastated and just didn't know what to do at that point. So mm-hmm. uh, I got a job. I mm-hmm. uh, worked all the time um if there was a shift that I could have I was gonna take it um Mm -hmm. and it became I had such little self-worth at that point um that my workaholism really did stem from A's coping skill of course but it was like the only self-worth I had was the monetary value that uh that was put on my time so Mm -hmm. uh you know so the more money I, you know the more money I yeah. made yeah. in the sense of the more time that I gave to make money then that was you know that made me more valuable and yeah, yeah. um and so mm. yeah so there's there's all of that uh I, I definitely had some culture shock coming back in yeah. and church was the biggest one honestly um okay that's interesting yeah I didn't you know like it was new going into a workplace and then suddenly hearing like cussing all the time or whatever you know like that was that was new but it didn't really uh, affect me that much other than I just wasn't used to hearing those words um definitely some funny stories of just like you know slang and stuff that I had (laughs) no idea of and so I got myself into some embarrassing situations there (laughs) um I can relate to that as well because I was the homeschooled kid, the pastor's kid from a country town who moved to the big city to study. But I ended up working as a bra fitter or a corsetier Uh at a lingerie store. And this kind of wide-eyed, you know, country girl kind of tell me a life story thing would result in the rest of the staff often just standing back and watching the look on my face when I figured out why somebody would need lingerie for work. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it was years before I would deconstruct period culture. Yeah, oh, for like sure. But, you I, know, you, you do get yourself in some awkward situations, don't you? Yeah, uh, yeah, for sure. Uh, but church was like, I I don't know. For, first of all, there was the whole, you know, Brazilians are, are big on touching, mm-hmm. um, you know, so everyone is hugging everyone and you do the double kiss on the cheek and everyone stands close to you and they like to, they like, yeah, uh, yeah. getting felt up, but not necessarily like yeah. everywhere, but the parts that, you know, you're, are no, no zones there. You're going to yes. be touched. You're going to be touched. And so coming back to the States and, and like hugging someone in church and it was like a very distant kind of hug if they were hugged at all. And so like that was confusing. And then, mm-hmm. um, um, and then, and then it was weird too, because I'm going back to my childhood church, right? So there's people there who were my friends, um, you know, early in life. And then again, a little bit in the middle. And so like, but we knew each other, but there were all of these gaps and, and so that was weird to navigate. And then also, um, and not to say this church wasn't heavily steeped in purity culture, too because it was but they were pretty liberal as far as dating is concerned and so it was like everyone was dating everyone is like one week you're dating this person and then you know Mm -hmm. and then you're dating their best friend a couple weeks later and it just (laughs) confused me so much and but you know church is where I'd spent most of my life and so I really wanted to get involved and I went and talked to Mm -hmm. the youth pastor 
and uh, he was like gung ho. He's like so glad to have you here. You're gonna have this unique perspective because you've lived all over the world and blah blah blah. Yeah. And he's like, uh, in order to be a leader in the youth group, you can't uh, watch rated R movies. You can't. Yeah. Um, you can't. <laughs> oh man. Uh, you can't cuss. That was certainly one. Yeah. And yeah. then, and he was like, and I need you to give a lifetime commitment to the church. A lifetime commitment. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so I was okay. like, For those um, listening at home, if that comes out at you, run fast. Run, run fast. Run fast. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, and even though, even at the time, I, you know, I, I, I would not have the vocabulary or even the agency to absolutely understand what was being asked. I still at least knew, I was like, um, I, I can't give, like, I'm mm. 17, you know, like, I don't know where I'm going to yeah. be in two years or 10 years, much less, yeah. you know, 40 years. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I can't give you that. And, and, the, and this came from a place of like, he had just recently lost a lot of his leaders because they were getting married and moving somewhere else or, you know, mm-hmm. thing, things mm-hmm. like that. And, and, you know, in hindsight, I understand where it was coming from. It's, it's not any less uh, abusive, but, yeah. um, but I get yeah. that he was just trying to hold on uh, to yep. people, yep. you know, and, and, and youth pastors got to be hard too, right? Cause your demographic ages out every couple of years. So you get attached to these people and then they move on. And, um, yeah. but and I was, yep, yeah, go ahead. that's an interesting thing that you flag though. He, sometimes the, the hurt can cause people to hold on too mm-hmm. tight, but there's actually, there's also this balance of, yeah, okay. You've experienced hurt. You've experienced loss. Yep but your parishioners aren't the ones that are responsible for that. <laughs> exactly. Or, or should be the ones who kind of, um, you know, wear the, 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 the responsibility for that going forward. It's a, it's a very fine line, yeah. um, you know, and, and we need to be able to see the hurt and go, yeah, I understand that. That must have been very difficult for you, but also don't be abusive to other people because of it. <laughs> right. So I, of course, say no. And so he's like, well, then you can't be a leader, but you're welcome to come to youth group. We'd be happy to have you there. So mm. I went for a while um, and I, you know, I did the whole like setting up chairs, basically anything they would let me do. I did mm-hmm. like hoping to show like, hey, even though I can't give you a lifetime commitment, like I'm here now and I'm, you know, yeah. I'm willing and, and ready. Um, but it was just every time I went up for prayer, I would get this, uh, he would come and pray for me and give me a prophetic word that oh, yeah. God didn't want me to go anywhere mm-hmm. and and you know so it was just I, I could only take so much of that so after several months I was like well peace out of there and mm-hmm. um, and I basically that even fueled my workaholism even more because mm-hmm. in order to make it not seem like I was like in order to you know curb the rumors of me backsliding or, or whatever I was just yeah. like oh I have to work so I would just make sure I made the schedule at work <laughs> Made sure that yeah. I had to work during church times. Sunday morning. I work. work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Shift coordinator. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, mm. So, yeah, yeah, I, anyway, 
you know, trying to kind of fast forward through my story, uh, ended up moving to Arizona, which is the southwestern part of the U.S. Uh, when mm-hmm. I was 22. Uh, I got an entry-level job in the behavioral health field, didn't require a lot of experience, I was working primarily with indigenous yeah. Americans. Yeah. Um, and it was very, very cool, also very white savior of me to uh, be unskilled mm-hmm. in the field and go <laughs> and do it. Um, again, another really, really cool experience that I learned a lot from um, Mm -hmm. that, you know, I'm also not unaware of of a lot of the damage there. I actually have a post uh, about it that I wrote recently for Indigenous Peoples Day. But yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. This is is quite a... (laughs) Uh, do you have emotional whiplash from like everything? <laughs> Every, you... Everything, oh, uh, you know, and that's not yeah. It, like I again, and and that's where it's hard with podcasts too, because I'm like, what do I even talk about? Um, yeah, uh, where do yeah. we land on something? You know, like the the purity culture is bad. The the yeah. trauma, the the family trauma uh, was yeah. bad. You know, the the colonialism we participated in was bad. The yeah. Um, you know. And and even I think the word backsliding I think is is mm. an interesting one too, and and perhaps I'd like to just land on that for yeah, a while let's because do it. Um, because you know backsliding is a word that people use on the inside of church mm-hmm. to describe when somebody no longer goes to church or no longer you know subscribes to the same set of doctrines and theologies, and it's a really um, you know, a really degrading kind of, uh, oh, they've backslidden, like they've slidden, they're below us, they're, yep. you know, they're no longer part of the way. But um, but yet, f- from a deconstructor's perspective, and Phil Drysdale, God love him, mm-hmm. um, the gem that he gave me when he came on this podcast was w- – talking about how statistically it's not the people who don't care about church who who leave it it's the people who really care about it and who have gone deep that it leads them to really face off against the realities of of church and the clashes between the jesus of the bible and and you know what they're living out so um the yeah so i i'm not i'm not backslidden i'm deconstructing and they're Mm -hmm. two completely different things and yet how do you kind of wrestle with the knowledge that uh, you're being talked about a certain way within the crowd that you used to move in? Have you found that experience a little, I don't know, uncomfortable? <laughs> oh, sure. I, not so much anymore. And, and obviously, like, back then when I was, like, 18 or we were talking about, I, I definitely, you know, I didn't, like, deconstruction was not a word on my radar, yeah. you know, like, that it wasn't a thing that people did that I knew of, uh, you know, it was like, you're, you're, you, you love Jesus or, mm-hmm. or you're going to hell, essentially, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, like, there's no in between, and, uh, yeah. and so I definitely, and that, and I knew that that wasn't what was happening with me, yeah. Um, and then another, I'm actually trying to find it real fast, but Phil actually recently wrote a post about, it was something about being in an abusive relationship with the church. Um, yeah. And like that hit me so hard because for, for so many years, then I still like, I went from church to church to church and I found mm-hmm. that there was so much abuse in there, but it was so like, I just always ended up coming back for more, you know, at some point it was mm-hmm. like, Oh, like, I, you know, I, I, to make that leap of like, oh, this isn't just abusive within, but like, this is, 
this like I'm interacting in this toxic relationship with the church um yeah you know what was very eye-opening and that's finally whenever it was like okay I like I I'm 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 out of this for good and and I hate mm. to say anything for good for good because you know you again mm. like part of deconstructing is realizing that you're not necessarily going to land on the right answer if there even is a right answer right but yeah. you're you're just, yeah, right. you're, just, you're <laughs> unraveling things and you're learning things and you'll always be presented with new information in your lifetime and so that may change you know somewhere you land even for a little bit and so um, yeah. I do have an idea in my head of what church could look like that would make make me interested in going back but as far as you know the church at large as it exists or or, or the not the churches and the people but as you know as far as the institution of the church goes I have I have zero interest uh, <laughs> in being a, a part of it at all um, yeah, yeah, look, can relate. Again, COVID-19 has given the world a pause to think about this, and I'm really curious to see how church recovers. And I hope it doesn't recover. I hope it reinvents. Yeah, I actually... Um, sorry. Yeah, I, I feel like it's an opportunity. <laughs> yeah. um, but I, I just want to flag something, and, and I think it's a really good comparison that you've you've used here um, the, the abusive relationship with the church. And, um, I, I remember when news broke that, um, my then husband, um, yeah. and I had actually left my father's church. It was this horrible moment. We needed to make a public ish statement mm -hmm. because of some serious cyberbullying that was going on. Oh. Um, we needed to make a public statement and distance ourselves from it, but we did not expect it to go viral. We did not expect it to oh. result in <clears throat> my father uh, going to the newspaper about it. <laughs> to oh my us. goodness. Yeah. <laughs> that was a moment that I'll never forget. Um, but I'll never forget this one person who wrote on my then husband's you know, and all that Patrick said was, you know, um, you know, on the twenty, uh, on the eleventh of November, two thousand and fifteen, when, um, when I showed him a, a positive pregnancy test, he knew it was time to leave, and now it's taken good medication, good therapy, but he's finally starting to feel like himself. That was all that was said in his uh, his status, but the whole town kind of knew what that meant, and wow, mm. I did not expect the amount of anger and the amount of. Oh, just just horrendous stories that started pouring out but one stuck with me and it was this guy who went to an adjacent church that was in the same network and um and in the same town <clears throat> and he said he had a battered relationship uh, a battered wife relationship with the church and that and he he no longer goes and he's no mm. longer a christian but that statement stuck with me because we talk about women in domestic violence or family violence relationships and we often say why don't they just leave mm -hmm. and and the answer is because they believe that their partner does love them yep. because they see the redeeming qualities and they listen to the promises of I'll do better and I'll, this will never happen again. And also it's kind of better the devil, you know, in, a, in, in some ways and you don't want to destabilize your children. And it's too hard to kind of rethink finances and 
places of belonging and friendships and everything you know it's a lot it's a lot and that's why people leaving domestic violence situations need support Mm -hmm. um and and they need planning but then it's a it's an interesting kind of parable i suppose for what goes on with people who are leaving church is often it's that battered wife relationship there too oh but but god is good um and and i'm okay with jesus and but and they said that you know they said that they they believe me when I've made this disclosure and so it's not going to happen again and and then we become disillusioned with the way that the church has handled it but we've been made all these promises yeah so it's you know it's a it's a really powerful I think um, you know illustration of what goes on with people mm. and I don't think that man who made that statement on my husband's status all those years ago and I could tell you the date but um <laughs> <laughs> he's not alone um yeah. and 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 you're not alone and I'm not alone and I'm and there's a lot of listeners out there who would relate with that a lot um because quite frankly there should be no shame if you found it difficult to pull yourself out of a situation that is abusive and there should be no shame if it's taken you a while to actually name it as that's what it is yeah 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 and and not box yeah no (laughs) love it it. and and not to mention like there's so much kind of I guess covert gaslighting that happens in Mm. the church too and it's like oh we're humans and we're not going to be 100% perfect only God is perfect and so you know and then it's like oh you're feeling offended well that sorry I think that was me um uh you're feeling offended uh you know well that's a sin or you're feeling angry and that's a sin and so like everything you you know like even if someone's not actively saying it to you in the moment those things you know that like the indoctrination is like I I feel it still as I'm uh I think I told you I uh, I see a therapist I'm doing EMDR and okay uh, I like as all of this stuff is it unravels from the actual like trauma work perspective like I feel where I've been indoctrinated in my bones like even things I didn't actively think or even thought like oh mm. this is weird that it's happening or it's weird that we're singing this you know it's weird that we're yeah. singing about being so desperate and destitute when we preach and we believe you yes. know that God said you are you are saints and that we have all of his power inside of us and yes. you know and all of this stuff but like but in my bones they're still like you know and and again I'm not being scientific with the bones but like I that like I just I feel it there is like I still like there's part of me that believes that it's like so ingrained in me even though my conscious brain thinks differently yeah. Um, and this I, is yeah. this is powerful because I'm reading a meme here that was on unlearning together on Instagram. Mm-hmm. It's always the church isn't a building; it's the people. And yeah. so you talk about your religious <laughs> trauma. Then it's like you were hurt by people, not the church. Not the church. Um, so there's that. But but let's sit on what you're saying. Feeling it in your bones. Uh, in my other life, I'm a research writer, uh-huh. and one thing that is just scientific fact is that when you're in fight or flight. Um, which which is when all of your survival mechanisms switch on, mm-hmm. which affects hormones. It affects um, skeletal muscle tone. It affects the neurons in your brain that 
are like taking in light and and sound and it makes you hyper aware it makes you sleep like often people who are in chronic stress have light sleep and vivid dreams Mm -hmm. and they have like those shoulders that feel like concrete and and you know calf muscles that are locked up because we're ready to run ready to fight but the thing is your brain your amygdala does not distinguish between a threat that is real or imagined current or past Mm -hmm. like if you are feeling the emotions of you know fear and and you know it doesn't matter if there's actually a bear there to attack you or not your body is going to react the same way so your body actually does know and i read something during the week um from another deconstructor and i love this tribe they're so validating in the the trauma kind of recovery stage is this person said my body knew my body always knew yes but part of what we were taught was that we we are a tripart being we are body soul and spirit and the body was kind of the bottom of that tree Mm -hmm. and we would deny fleshly desires which, which meant we also denied physical tells that we were in yeah and i was thinking about this earlier too i remember a sermon i specifically heard i i uh would have been in my mid-20s i guess when this happened and it was the the pastor was talking about quote-unquote ruffled feathers and (laughs) it was like i don't know how and he was basically saying like you know whenever you do something that is that is sinful like maybe you watch a Mm -hmm. movie with a sex scene or (laughs) you know or play cards against humanity because some of us have like gotten into that and he was not a fan uh he was like that you know things like that should be ruffling your feathers and when your feathers are ruffled you know that's god's conviction and he was like and then if you're doing these things and your feathers aren't ruffled well then you need to come back to god but what really but like what really clicks for me now and thinking about that it's funny because i hadn't thought about that sermon in a long time but it's like he's essentially saying like the red flags that your body sends up for you when you're you're like you know is is god's conviction and and i definitely relate to like again the fact that i was indoctrinated that way even though not necessarily in Mm -hmm. those terms is like oh when my body is giving me signals um, I think that, you know, I'm doing something wrong and not that mm-hmm. I need to leave a bad situation. So, yeah. um, so, so you kind of end up gaslighting yourself in a sense. Yes. Right? <laughs> like, I have said that so many times too, cause I still live with my ex-husband. Mm-hmm. Um, he's yeah. And, and he's great. And cause I actually had this huge PTSD episode during the week because, um, and you know what I'm saying it because there's no shame. There is no shame in having a PTSD episode guys. No, um, no shame. because the shame doesn't belong on the, on the person who has suffered the abuse. We are not the ones who should wear it. But what happened was, cause I'm studying psychology, um, the, the unit that we were doing was social psychology. Now, I'm interested in neuropsych. I want to stick electrodes in people's brains and make them do stuff. I don't want to, like, counsel people, but, you know, you still have to do all the units. And it's, like, the Stanford's prison experiment and it's the ash conformity experiment and, mm. I'm, and all these other experiments that were known as being highly unethical. And I'm seeing, like, and I fully had a meltdown. Like, it was far too reminiscent but like you know we'd been taught to kind of not listen to our bodies but yet in in ptsd or cptsd um you know we have to really tune in and go okay my heart rate's up 
Um, you know, I'm feeling skittish. I'm fe- I can taste metal in my mouth. Like, what do I need to do to self-care? We actually need to tune into the body. And I've lost my train of thought. And it was because we were talking about gaslighting. I said mm. to, uh, I said to Patrick, um, I was like, when we have internalized these messages that we've heard when we've been so devoted to the church and we've been taught things that while well-intentioned may have come from a place of hurt or insecurity that then became abusive and damaging or whatever it is we gaslight ourselves Mm -hmm. and we do it because these thoughts and these patterns have become so familiar to us um that we know what would happen if we're in a certain um a certain you know group or church or position and those those thoughts kind of repeat on us like a bad penny um but yeah it's it's a phenomenon i think we need to kind of notice that it is possible to gaslight yourself Mm -hmm. and i you know i did so much self work and 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 by self i mean like without a therapist for a long time it was like uh me and god you know like uh we we did all of this great wonderful stuff and like and now going back i just see like how many things were skipped because of you know Mm -hmm. bad theology and bad belief Mm -hmm. systems or whatever that Mm -hmm. that i'm now working back through but i made uh a lot of strides in that time but i um didn't realize just how traumatized I was about certain things and that led to um I left I left a job earlier this year uh Mm -hmm. on March 20th which was great timing that was my last Mm -hmm. day and uh, March 21st my city uh Nashville shut down so uh because of COVID and uh (laughs) my my job prospects that I had lined up like dry dried up because you know nobody knew it was gonna happen um but that I, I left a very, very toxic work relationship. It was a really yeah. cool job. I really enjoyed it. Did, got to do a lot of things, use a lot of my skill set, whatever. But yeah. um, the owner of the company slash my boss is just a, a very, yeah. very toxic person. And yeah. it took yeah. me... It took me a long time to realize it to the extent I did that made me realize I need, needed to get out. But I knew yeah. the first time I met her, when I met her for yeah. an interview, I was like, wow. Um, there's a lot, there's a lot going on here, but, um, I was cut right. Like in my mind, I was like, oh, but I've survived this kind of thing before. And so I can Uh help, you know? And like, so like my trauma response was entering, you know, while my body was giving me signals to like run the other way. I'm like, oh, I know this. I can do this. I'm going to jump in. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I can be the savior. Right, I can be the savior. There it is yeah. again, the savior complex. So, man, I'm I'm so sorry that happened. Oh, um, and and I will also say, you're pointing out something really important. Is sometimes better the devil you know. Yep. We recognize these things and go, I know how to survive this situation. It's less scary mm-hmm. than um, than you know it's something that's not familiar to us, even though that that feeling of unfamiliarness um, might be scary in the beginning. It might be healthier for us to go that other way. We go, Oh no, no, this is familiar. I know how to do this. Um, And yeah, I I think um, I've I've noticed like a a friend of mine, um, she deconstructed out of, out of fundamentalist Christianity um, into kind of uh, chaos magic is her thing now. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know she's still got a like a really deep understanding and and reverence for you know 
Jesus. Yeah. Church can go to hell, but Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and um, but when when she's talking about kind of embodiment, it was been a real challenge for me. Is actually recognizing that my body is not evil. My body is actually adaptive, and it houses um, me, the, the essence of who I am. But I've actually had to kind of drop this tripart being doctrine of we are body, soul, and spirit, and they need to be in alignment. The spirit needs to lead. The mind mm-hmm. needs to be under the spirit, and the body comes last. Um, and we need to deny fleshly desires. I've had to drop that and really tune into the fact that my body more than anything else is engineered for my survival and my wellness. My body wants to thrive. Mm -hmm. My body wants to be safe and it's going to tell me if something's not safe, but we've been trained in church to deny it and to put it away. So it's, it's really something that's worth kind of leaning into and speaking to another uh, person here who tends toward workaholism, the hardest cue for me to listen to is the one that says bitch stay in bed you need to sleep today (laughs) (laughs) you know what i mean like that must be a hard one for for you as well like learning to actually rest and and not take your value from the things that you do or what you earn yeah absolutely and i I would say this pandemic has been like especially i have had to be very intentional about not beating myself up about Mm -hmm. things because too like there was two whole months where i was unemployed yeah um and that and and those were the times where we you know we we didn't have like a mandated lockdown but my Mm -hmm. my husband and i did like like for for those several months like you know we went to the grocery store like maybe once every two weeks and you know we'd go for a drive or something but we but we didn't leave the house other than that and so he's working from home and i'm just here by myself and uh, and it it was so great for my nervous system for one after being in in the traumatic work experience that i'd been Mm. in uh but it was very very hard because i had to like you know being by yourself then i actually Mm. faced the things i didn't go make all the sourdough bread Uh, (laughs) (laughs) i bought the house plants i did that (laughs) um but i uh, it was really hard for me, like coming out of it, like whenever I did get a job or whatever. And I was like, man, like if I, you know, I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have slept so much. I shouldn't have cried. So, you know, shouldn't have yeah, cried yeah. so much. I should have started three businesses and I should have the body of a fitness model. And I, um, you know, my house and should be immaculate. And, and, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and, and my house is, oh God, don't even talk to me about my house. Oh. <laughs> Lockdown yeah. with two preschoolers is real, my friends, oh. and yeah, the quarantine happened Man, to me. Man, bless so. all, all of you parents. <laughs> I, um, <sighs> that is, it's definitely, I do not have any children, and I have been extra grateful. Children are lovely, I'm not saying uh, not to, <laughs> you shouldn't have them, but uh, you know, I it's definitely got to be a, an extra unique experience to have kids and kids oh, yeah. in the home all the time. Yep. Yeah, but you know what, like I, I you know, it's it's almost reflexive when you say I don't have children for a lot of people to go yet um, <laughs> but I think I think that's another conditioning from church. Yeah is where a woman should get her value. Um, And do you know what? There are a million ways to, there are, there are 7 billion ways to leave a legacy. It doesn't Mm -hmm. have to be kids, you know, it doesn't define your value is, is, you know, Oh my goodness. And you know, 
how functioning your uterus is, you know, or whether you're married or whatever, like you're valuable because you are. Um, yeah. And that's been another thing that I've, I've kind of learnt in the aftermath of, of, of all that has gone down in, in you know, life. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, and wow. And that's like been a thing. To, I mean, 34 years old, I've been, mar- I've been married 11 and a half years and mm-hmm. uh, people do not understand uh, why I do not have kids so for and for one I've had three miscarriages uh, oh, that I'm that sorry. I talk about that I talk about mostly openly mm-hmm. um, but some people like my my in-laws they may know about it from other people who've seen it on social media talking about mm-hmm. it but mm-hmm. like you know my husband is a fourth like his name is uh, George Ovander Herbert the fourth Oh my god! Uh, and <laughs> he he is the only son. Like uh, you know, he doesn't have any brothers. He just has sisters. And mm-hmm. uh, there is this like there has been this whole ideal of there yeah. you know like of me to produce an heir. Even before we yeah. were engaged, my in laws were giving oh. me uh, curious oh. George things for my future child. Oh, you're serious? Oh. And yeah, so pressure. no pressure, no pressure, right? Not only are we expecting a child, but my, it's must George. be a male yeah uh, <laughs> and named George Amanda George Amanda oh. the fifth yes so and and you know and, and it was a lot of pressure and it, and it hit yeah. me in a lot of different ways but I um but I was like you know uh I, I always thought that it would happen you, you know like yeah. eventually yeah. I wasn't I was never someone who like overly wanted to be a mom but I figured mm-hmm. like oh I love my husband and like I could see it would be nice yeah. to have you know some yeah. you know some children who have some of each of us or or whatever yeah. and if yeah. we have a son we can name him George the fifth and whatever but it would be really uh, offensive if you bought a puppy and named it George oh and my no, goodness and I had uh uh, I know we're getting close to the hour, so I'm gonna. But, oh, no, so no, I don't want to open a whole over. can of worms here. You, but, goes, you, you know, if we go over. I, mm. I had uh, vagin- vaginismus. Uh, oh, you know, found found that out on the wedding. Well, I didn't find it out on the wedding night. I found out, uh, you know, that I couldn't have sex on my wedding night. I didn't find out for oh. another year what the diagnosis was. But oh man, um, so there, yeah. Um, five years of that, like I could not have penetrative sex. So there's five years wow. of my marriage, right? That uh, obviously no children. Uh, and then, uh, when we could, yeah. uh, I'm not trying, <laughs> not necessarily yeah. trying to get pregnant right away. Right. Try, no. Trying to figure it, trying to navigate this whole sex thing. Uh, you a little fun, you know, yeah, right. <laughs> um, but but yeah, uh, I, I also have endometriosis, so that you know that can be a barrier to to having kids. Yeah. And and I've just I've tried, you know, there many many things have been successful in mm-hmm. you know healing or, or partial healing, and and there's been some yeah. hope. But I have never been to the point where I where I was like, okay, I'm ready to be a mom. And mm-hmm. obviously, if any of my pregnancies had uh, come to term, I would I would love my children. Um, yeah. No problem. I, w- I wish that they wouldn't. You know, I wish the miscarriages wouldn't have happened. It took a huge yeah, toll on on everything. Um, yeah. But I I did decide a couple of years ago that I that I did not want children. Yeah. And 
and also my in-laws don't know that. So if you're listening to this, uh, hey, hey, Dad. Uh, <laughs> now you know. Uh, but, and also, but, hey, George's sisters, maybe yeah. you want to name one of your kids after you, bro. <laughs> uh, but yeah. And also, this is a dignified choice that you've yep. made. Because it honors who you are, Mm -hmm. um, it honors what you want from life, and it honors the fact that you don't want to go through the pressure and stress of trying to fall pregnant and trying to to stay pregnant. Um, It's a dignified choice. Um, I had, I've actually had five miscarriages, so yeah. that's super fun. Wow, uh, so four sorry. of them in, yeah, that's f- not fun. And it's, it's a big moment of kind of compounded grief when you really do, um, you know, really do want a child. Um, but yeah, like it's, it's not fun. And if people have been through recurrent miscarriages, you know, honor your mental health, like mm-hmm. honor your physical health, um, give yourself a break like this is this is not fun this is a deeply personal choice and nobody has the right to dictate that for you yeah um is my little soapbox yeah for sure stepping down (laughs) (laughs) well and you know and we were talking about the societal pressure uh for having kids and i think it's even amplified in church because Mm -hmm. you know be fruitful and multiply for one uh and then it's so it's like oh you're married and so we've expected now that you've had sex and so now we expect that you have kids (laughs) and if you disrupt any part of that then you know no telling what you've got i've gotten everything from obviously it must be uh sinning you know i must have this like deep sin somehow to like i'm just straight up demon possessed um and that's come you know from complete strangers to people who are very close to Uh me so or not Uh anymore but who were you know who are very close to me so yes Um, and so on behalf of anyone who is you know dealing with an illness or a disability or a disease or a physical issue um who hears you know on behalf of all of us we'd like to say shut the fuck up shut we the fuck up <laughs> we're not demon possessed <laughs> we're not haven't done something wrong we have it's not sin sometimes life just sucks there yep. you go the end the <laughs> end you know, yeah yeah I've, I've faced off against that one too and it's mm-hmm. like super super difficult and definitely warrants the f word the end yeah (laughs) gosh what what a journey and there's so many topics there's so many topics that we could land on and but I think um what have been like you've been through so much and obviously because we haven't even answered the question about the do better church oh I know you know uh, that was that was an hour ago I'll get you to answer it before (laughs) but um what are some keys that you've found in terms of processing all this and coming to a point where you're healthy within yourself um or or healthy enough i'm going to say because Mm -hmm. we don't need the perfectionism that comes with that kind of calvinistic total depravity doctrine of you know we've all fallen short and you know it's the judgment of god that i've got the flu like you know, like we don't need that. So, how have you? How do you find and navigate your way towards kindness and self compassion, um, so that when you have, be it physical setbacks or flare ups with mental health, which I think we have to be really mindful of in two thousand and twenty, mm. um, the year of all years. Um, yeah, how do you navigate towards a place of self compassion, and what are some of the tools that you've used to really keep yourself, you know, or, or work towards that place of healthiness yeah um great question and it 
it depends, you know, like mm-hmm. coming to a place of, of being mindful or practicing mindfulness, which is very hard, by the way, if you've, oh, if you've yeah. not ever, <laughs> not ever done it. Um, and if you do like, you know, if you do have perfectionist tendencies as I can, uh, mm-hmm. when you are terrible at it at first, that doesn't help. So, um, I know. <laughs> when people are like, we're just going to focus on the breath. Let's just do some breath work. And I'm like, I've been breathing for 30 so many years right now so you know I'm cool with the breathing can we move on to something more helpful and Uh, yet and yet um but but uh finding time of being uh intentionally still and even honestly if it's like 60 seconds like you you know Mm -hmm. like that that is you're, you're, you're training, you're, you're training yourself. And so just, mm-hmm. you know, if you, especially when I find myself in a very stressful situation, I mm-hmm. will, you know, if work is really bad or, or, you know, or something, then I make sure to take at least 60 seconds and intentionally breathe. I do have an app yeah. on my phone. It's called calm app. It has some yeah. like guided meditations, etc. Mm-hmm. And they do, you know, it's anywhere. I think they do some two minute ones and then it's up to like 20, 20 something minutes. Yeah. And so even just taking the time to focus on one of the really short ones just really sets, um, my head straight for a bit, but yeah. I also tend to be a creature of habit. And I think it has a lot to do, uh, with, trauma and, and just yeah. not having a, having had a lot of control um, yeah, over yeah. what was happening at, you know most of my life um, <laughs> so so yeah. there are things that I like you know like I'll uh, not so much now with COVID, but like, you know, I'd like, I like to go work from a coffee shop or something. And I, yeah. if I can, oh, if it's available, I'll sit in the same seat, you know, like, yeah. like, like things like that. So in the same seat, I ordered the same drink and, yeah. um, you know, I, uh, you know, I make sure that I take a bath and, and like, like a, yeah. you know, like a soaking bath, not just to get clean at least once yeah. a week. Like I have my designated day for baths and, yeah. uh, yeah. so, so things like that, that are really helpful for mm-hmm. me. Yes. I have my designated time to write. I have, you know, you know um, yeah. and then, yeah. and then there are kind of the extra things that come in, you know, here, here or there that, yeah. that I do. So, um, I have like my, my scheduled necessary, necessary, like these are, are non-negotiable things that I do un- unless them being non-negotiable stresses me out. And then I have yeah. some grace for that. But um, it's like, these are my preventative measures. And then I have yeah. all these other, you know, I have other tools that I pull from um, yeah. as needed or as makes sense. So, yeah, uh, you know, yeah, uh, also really pre COVID, we, we, my husband and I, we love to cook and we love to entertain. And so yeah. Sunday nights were open invitation. Like anyone who's ever met us ever has an invite, <laughs> like has an invite to come over. And, you know, sometimes it's just one extra person and sometimes it's 20 people, you know, like, but we yeah, always yeah, yeah. have food and, that, and that's always, and that's like a non-negotiable for me, even, even when I'm not feeling it so much because, yeah. um, again, depressive tendencies. And so, uh, it's yeah. like, it's a healthy forcing of myself to have at least one social uh you know interaction when you know there are days that I getting out of bed is hard yeah yeah (laughs) and you can can also kind of 
because you know it's coming, you're not going to be shocked by it. Right, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, like, uh, it's not a surprise. Yeah, no, it's so, not, not so, 20 people just showing up in my house and saying, hey. <laughs> okay, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, it, I, you know, I think uh, uh, mindfulness is a great thing to have because as we talked mm-hmm. about, like, our, our you know, our body – our bodies are, are whether or not uh, you believe in in God or that God created you. Um, it's very obvious that you, the body w- exists with yep. some sort of intention and in how it works. Like you know, it's very intricate, and it knows yep. what we need. It knows how to survive. That's why mm-hmm. you know uh, the extra fat around my arms. I'm like. Uh, that I think is disgusting. I'm also like, I love you and thank you body for taking care of me. Cause you like yeah. did that on your own, you know? Yeah. Um, and so the, the mindfulness helps us connect to ourselves. And particularly if you've grown up in uh, church and especially evangelicalism, you, you really aren't taught that. And so yeah. there's that. And then things that you like to do that give you life, um, make, yeah. make those a priority. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. I love this. This is really important. And I think, um, so is getting a therapist. I am yes. such an advocate of getting a therapist. And I'm, I'm aware of um, just this particular historical moment. Uh, 2020 has been a really rough year for everyone. Um, you know, whether it's whether you've been inside a COVID lockdown or a, a, a very contentious election or civil rights protests or, you know, there, there just seems to be this cosmic moment of resetting and it's traumatic. Um, so, you know, this is a good year to actually really check in with yourself, really make sure that you're okay. And if you're not, to access help. So in Australia, um, my big shout out is to Lifeline, which the, if you need that number after listening to this today, the number is 131114 lifeline there's also beyond blue these are fantastic uh, depression and mental health resources for Australians if you need them call them they're fantastic you don't need to be suicidal to actually call them if you're feeling distressed if you don't know how to plan um, for getting yourself into a doctor or a or a a therapist um, this is a really good place that you can actually just start and they'll help you find that calm and help you um, through the next few moments I uh, was raised in a a church that really didn't put a high value on counseling or you know um, and as I've kind of come out of that um, I love I love having a therapist Um, I love it when I'm doing well. I need it when I'm not. Um, It's okay to have times in your life where you're not doing well. Um, And there should be no shame in that. This is not the judgment of God if you have an off week um, or if you have a depression flare-up or if you have a PTSD flare-up. So this is certainly a time for self-care, for for self-awareness. And it's also, I I strongly believe, a time to do away with the idea that your body is bad. Your body is good. Your body has helped you survive so many things so make sure you listen to that um yeah you talked about emdr which is actually a a, um a ptsd uh therapy which is Mm -hmm. is getting some decent kind of um reviews and stuff like that we haven't had time to talk about it today but um people if you think that you might have some religious trauma or some abuse stuff that's actually flared um, over the course of 2020 over the course of your deconstruction or even over the course of this conversation do know that there is hope um, and there is recovery and a way forward and certainly call your doctor um, so Britt Herbert 
We still haven't talked about the Do Better Church program, so oh, I just did that huge wrap-up, and we still haven't talked about the thing that I asked you at the beginning. Yep, I'm just going to rewind. Yeah, let's, so, let's talk about it. <laughs> just, just pretend you heard that wrap-up right at the end. Britt, tell me about Do Better Church. <laughs> yeah, so uh, Do Better Church is a team of, of people who, um, if you don't know Joe Lumen, definitely follow her, but... Yes. Um, jo has this am- uh, amazing platform. She does a lot of teaching uh, around uh, the Bible and Christianity, religion in general, puts a lot of context of the Bible, uh, mm-hmm. uh, colonialism, decolonization, like all, all of that. She is just a, v- a very well-spoken, well-researched person and who has also suffered a lot of church and religious abuse um, mm-hmm. in her in her time, you know, she, as, you know, just being a member of the church, being a leader of the church, being a pastor, even. Yeah. And uh, she started, uh, or she, she was finding out a lot of abusive things that a particular mm-hmm. uh, brand of churches was doing. It's called ARC. Yeah. And yeah. she, you know, was going to write an open letter to this organization and asked if anyone had uh any any stories to share mm-hmm. and uh many people did and i was one of them and that's how yeah. that's how we initially connected but then a lot of people started just sending in stories from churches all over the country and all over the world even uh and it just became very apparent that that there uh, that the stuff is happening um yeah. very large scale and, and is you know it's not just isolated to one denomination or you know one Mm -hmm. church organization or whatever and so we're trying to figure she was she was trying to figure out what to do with all of these submissions and then a group of us kind of got together and started talking about it and that's how do better church uh was birthed which uh is our our goal is to create a safe space for victims and survivors of church and religious abuse to share their stories. And mm-hmm. um, all of the submissions are anonymous as far as mm-hmm. who sent them in. Mm-hmm. And uh, it is up to the person who submitted if they would like the church mentioned or tagged. Yeah. And, okay. um, and so. I yeah. <laughs> Uh, we also uh, are, you know, weave in some healing posts. We do hook people up with resources if they would healing mm-hmm. resources if they would like. Um, we have open letters out to several churches, um, and so you know, the primary being uh, we hold space for to amplify voices of, of, of victims and survivors, and then we also um, hold churches and church leaders accountable for abusive mm-hmm. behavior um, as much as they would let us. We call it out publicly. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's a variety of responses. Being blocked is a, is a, is a primary one. But, yeah. uh, but it's, not, it's not stopping us. It's not slowing us down. And, and you yeah. know, we, I'm, uh, we're very excited about the future of where this goes and being very intentional about making sure it's not a movement that suddenly becomes a church of hurt people. Like the goal, yeah. uh, you know, is, is to is to further support your healing. And, and yeah. so, you know, as we're here for, yeah. um, there, there's like, uh, one of seven of us, I believe. And so, you know, at, at any point you, you probably get me or Joe and the DMS and it's different mm-hmm. people posting on different days. Yeah. And, uh, but 
but that that's what do better churches and it's yeah. been really exciting and healing for me and and feels um it, it also just feels like the right time I think a lot yeah. of people are waking up mm-hmm. to uh like like we have the information you know more yeah. people are becoming trauma informed and realizing like hey what's yeah. happening isn't right and then hearing other people's stories helps you realize like oh hey I'm not the only one or oh yeah that is abuse and and I also yeah. you know I also experienced that so um it's been really yeah. cool to to be a part of it and see it grow yeah and I think it's really powerful too. Um, I, I remember like, because I, I mean, since news kind of broke that, um, you know, that I, I no longer went to a particular church, mm. the, the, the thing that I've heard from people who chose to share their stories with me um, from far and wide, I mean, not just like, like all over the world, um, the thing that... I love hearing the most is the line I real I'm realizing now that maybe I wasn't the problem mm-hmm. and that is a gift and I think do better church um which Instagram is the, the main place you can find that yeah um yeah yes it, it allows people to realize maybe you weren't the problem maybe it was abusive behavior and yeah. when you can kind of make yourself not the villain anymore and, and, and not think that you had acted against God or, or that you had somehow invoked the wrath of the people who are acting on God's behalf or whatever. Um, maybe you weren't the problem. And when you mm-hmm. can connect with a movement like this that actually helps you name this, uh, these behaviours as abuse and have, have support in, in recognising that, I think it's yep. a really empowering thing. Even if you don't think that you're brave enough to share your story, it might be somewhere that you can actually, you know, if you're feeling up to it, read some stories and realize you weren't the problem. So yep. um, the handle is? At Do Better Church um, yep. on both Twitter and Instagram. Um, if yep. you have Instagram, I recommend you follow us there because mm-hmm. that is like 100% of the content goes through there. Uh, yep. Occasionally uh, something will get missed on Twitter and then mm-hmm. we also are on Facebook, but um, at this point it doesn't get a lot there's not a huge following so it hasn't been a priority um, yeah. so not everything makes it there but we're active um, in posting you know submission stories and then our stories are, are always full of um, you know something that we're that we're calling out or someone yeah. you know someone we're asking questions to um, some yeah. healing posts some humor and there yeah. as well but yeah which I is do better important church. <laughs> you do have to laugh your way through a lot do of have stuff to laugh. yeah absolutely and even if you are like i don't think i can share my story publicly even anonymously but you just want to share it with someone in the dms and be believed um yeah. we're absolutely here for that too yeah and that is incredibly healing hearing <laughs> gosh <laughs> it's incredibly healing um so thank you so much for um for being on the podcast today, Britt Herbert. Um, and you can find Britt as herself on the gram, or you can also find her via um, Do Better Church. And I want to say just again in closing out, if this podcast has raised anything for you, if this year has raised anything for you, again, Lifeline 131114 is the phone number in Australia. Beyond Blue is also excellent. And if you are... Um, if you are LGBT, um, then I'd also recommend Q Life, which is an excellent uh, helpline that um, can help people from the LGBT community uh, work through um, issues of uh, in, that might be distressing. So I highly recommend um, those. 
This is a time for self-care. It's a time for being aware of, of, of your worth as a human, regardless of what your struggles are, or perhaps what, you know, and perhaps even those struggles should give you an indication of just, you know, how, how much you've survived already. You can get through this next bit and it might mean getting some support, um, but there's nothing undignified in that. Um, absolutely not. It's the strongest people that that call for help when they need it so um, make sure you call those numbers and if you're in america um, call your primary health uh, practitioner or your insurance company to uh, your health insurance provider to um to find where you can get help so which is why i love australia because our health system is so much superior to yours guys yeah <laughs> No kidding. <laughs> <Anyway>. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm Kit Kennedy. This is Unchurchable. Thank you for joining me for another week.